0: Hi, I'm Neil and you're listening to The Whaler Podcast, a series where we sit down for a fireside chat with luminaries from the creative industry to learn how they got to where they are, how they feel about the current advertising landscape and what keeps them up at night. In this episode, I'm joined by Nicola Mendelsohn, the VP EMEA of Facebook. Nicola has been called the most powerful British woman in tech and has 20 years of experience in the advertising industry working at BBH, Grey and Kalmarama. Well, Nicola, thank you very much for joining me on this this podcast and having me in this amazing setting of your, your Facebook studio. It's,
1: it's tiny, though. This is it. <laughs> is, is it is. probably
0: going to look like bigger on camera, but it's, it's very cool either way. So I'd like to start off. You've had an incredible uh, run of different things that you've been doing, but I read somewhere that you started off studying English with theatrical studies at Leeds and wanted to be an actress.
1: I did, so yes. So
0: how did you then get to the world of creativity and advertising from that?
1: So that's what I thought I was going to be, and then I was in my second year at university uh, in Leeds, which I love, and my daughter's there now. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, so I oh, get, nice. get to go back. Studying and the same degree? No, she's doing international history and okay. politics. But um, I, I remember in the second year at university thinking, oh, there's a lot of luck involved in this acting thing, and I don't know if I want to have my whole life working out if it's about luck and sort of people that were brilliant at it not getting jobs. And then I had a friend who was a year older than me that had just got a job uh, at JWT okay. in London in the media planning department when it was all together. And I'd never heard of a job like that. You know, I grew up in Manchester. I didn't know anybody that worked in advertising, didn't know anyone that worked in the creative industries. I thought that sounded like a job for me. Hmm. So then I applied and got in.
0: Fantastic. And so was that your first role at JWT?
1: No, Um, I didn't go to JWT. Oh, no, you went to
0: BB... You joined the grad scheme. Yes,
1: I got Uh, in in 1992. My first job, age 20, was to be A graduate trainee at Bartle Bogle Hegarty, amazing, which was amazing. And I stayed there for another 12 years, uh, sitting outside John Bartle and Nigel Bogle's office for literally all of the time uh, uh, that I was
0: there. I never moved seats. Wow, and of course, that gives us a connection because John Hegarty is now the chairman of WADA as well, so it all comes full circle, absolutely, in one way or another. And I I read some of that you said because you didn't come from an art background, because you didn't come from i think it was quite somewhere but if it's not don't worry, an obsession with advertising mm. you actually just looked at it through the eyes of a consumer mm. and what you like you, you felt like that was something that you brought to the creative industry and actually gave you a different angle from from everybody else yeah i think
1: so i think it was about just you know calling it out sometimes a bit like the emperor's new clothes thing does that make sense ask the stupid question Um, But what I learned at BBH was the appreciation of craft as well and the real understanding of how that could make a difference, why that would be make something a little bit more special. And it was such a vintage period. And I look back and, you know, I pinch myself how lucky I was to have grown up at the time of, you know, the Levi's advertising, Mm -hmm. the Boddington's, the Audi, Vorsprung Technik, Hagner, so many. uh, And that I was able to work on some of those campaigns as well. But it was often, you know, just going, what does that mean? Explain that to me. Those sorts of things.
0: And was, I'm interested actually, was it the first grad scheme that you applied to and then and then you got, was BBH something in particular you were looking for? Yeah, and
1: it was shameless because I love the Nick Hayman, uh okay. ads uh, for Levi's and I thought I'd like to work at the company <laughs> that does that. And I think my passion came across even from a, a young age as to, uh, I loved it, I loved the storytelling and the fact you could compress something into 30 or 60 seconds, but to paint such a rich picture of another world, I thought it was an incredible um, privilege to be able to do that. It's where I wanted to go. It felt, felt like home.
0: Right. And then where did the entrepreneurial spirit then come from? Was that something that was always there or?
1: So I come from a family of entrepreneurs. My um, but my parents, my grandparents both had, uh, and my parents still have their own business. So it was just something hard graft, getting on with it, you know, dreaming big. That was something that was just always part of me and my DNA. And I think actually the best of companies and the companies that do well engender that spirit in people the belief that you can go out and do anything. So I think you can have entrepreneurialism within a company as well, not just for the owners of the company. And certainly in that period in BBH, in the 90s, I felt I felt like it was my company as well mm-hmm. and I wanted it to do well, I wanted it to succeed. And they allowed us the space to go out and do that as well.
0: Actually and I'll come onto that later because one thing I will say about Facebook is it has an amazing community of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. inside working mm-hmm. for it and I've always been interested at how it achieved that. I guess one question then I've then got on the entrepreneurial track, because uh, obviously I sit in that seat as well, is I wonder if you would share this perception or maybe have a different one. I would say if you knew what you knew at the end at the start you'd probably never put yourself through it and start. <laughs> would you agree with that? But you could argue about about
1: anything because yeah. if you really want to do well in anything you've got to work really hard and you'll have some failures along the way and some challenges and therefore you can you know once you get to the good bit you can look back and enjoy it but I was also taught a long time ago never be satisfied and if you think that you know you're moving you know if you feel if it feels comfortable then you're probably not moving fast enough so I'm not one to look back and smile and I just keep the, the more interesting thing will be the thing coming ahead.
0: I said to someone today I never give myself more than a 7 out of 10 and they just replied don't ever <laughs> <laughs> because then you literally it's that that that's Yeah that, that,
1: that kind of, kind of, of never feeling. being satisfied and that was another thing I learned from those BBH days. You could always amend it and it could always be better. And when we were doing the new business pitches and it would be three o'clock in the morning and you were still tinkering around, tinkering around on the edges because you could still make it better. And every moment that kind of moved on was another moment that you could just do one more bit, never quite finished. And actually at Facebook, we've got a saying, uh, this journey is 1% done. And it really feels like that. So whatever we've done today, actually, the, the things that are going to come, that's going to be where it's interesting. And, and we don't sit in the studio, but as you know, our buildings are kind of unfinished. On they're purpose. scrappy yeah. on purpose, to so that the physical environment reflects kind of the inner spirit of that kind of keep going. done. I
0: also love the when you go to MPK and there's the the Facebook sign at the front and at the back is the Sun Microsystems Mm -hmm. part of the sign and it's the reminder that a a large corporation can can disappear if you... Yeah, so you're talking about our headquarters. headquarters.
1: So literally as you arrive, the the welcome sign is the thumb-like, one hack away. But it is on the site of the Sun Valley sign, which was the previous um, company that had our campus. And it is a sobering reminder because... You know, at that time, that was a multi billion pound market cap company with the smartest and brightest people working there. And where's Sun today? So, yeah, I think, and it's not just that sign, there's other parts of the buildings and the campuses where we still have kept their logo up in different places, just to remind okay, us. A
0: reminder. So, let's go to the Kamarama days for a, a little bit. What was that like, starting that? And how was that? What were the different challenges then from, from BBH, obviously starting a company? But how did you take a different approach into Kamarama? I guess. Actually, let's start with a very simple one. Why did you start it?
1: Well, actually, it wasn't me. Um, oh, okay. I joined it later on. So ah. between BBH and Kamarama, I spent five years at Grey, Yes, uh, which was a fantastic period, um, just learning a lot. In, in many ways, the things that happened at Grey at that time was one of the best learnings for actually from a, a manager position and, and a leadership position and really starting to understand how you can change cultures and work with different organisations. And it was from there, so I'd done kind of... BBH when it was small and then got very big and Gray was very big. And then actually the guys from Kamarama, Ben and Sid and Dave approached me to come and join them. It was very small, it was about 18 people. Wow. I remember coming coming from kind of this really big Gray company and we went and had a chat together. And I was like, come and meet us. and it was them. And then the first day I walked in, it was the whole company was sat around at one table. And I was like, okay, this is gonna be different and if you wanted to get something, you went and got it. <laughs> you know, there wasn't legions of people. And that was a great learning. And I was very proud of the, you know, what we did there together uh, and to see the success that the company still has, which is even better.
0: Yeah. And so from there to VP Amir at Facebook, one of the largest companies so going to another scale, how, what, what attracted you to that, to that role?
1: So when I was at Kamarama, I also took on uh, the IPA. Mm-hmm. I was the first female president of the IPA. And it was at that time that I was, well, I'd always been really interested in, in digital and tech and what had been happening. And even back to the BBH days, I remember working on a CD-ROM project for Coca-Cola. It seemed so old fashioned, but it took six months to make this one disc wow. uh, that we sent out, Pride of Joy. I have no idea where it is now. I'd love to see it. I'm sure it would you make me laugh. You something to yeah. play No, correct. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't have the uh, the hardware. But um, I became more and more interested into what was happening in the world of tech with, you know, Google and Facebook and, and Twitter and LinkedIn. And spending, I went on a few trips out to Silicon Valley, went on the tours. Um, that I, And it just really thought that there was something different going on. And so my whole mantra at the IPA was very much around how we created um, the, that the UK would be the best place in the world for advertising for the digital age, whole creative pioneers that we would train, uh, our, you know, the new people coming in. That we would work together with the right. companies. So that's what fascinated me. And then, I guess I, I made quite a lot of noise about that. And you know, we, we had some success at that time at the IPA with it. And then um, Facebook came and knocked on my door, and I joined four nearly four years ago.
0: Mm. What What for you is great advertising? What What do you think is the uh, if you, if you could pick one one thing in it that would make advertising great? What What do you think is the key?
1: Oh, I think it's always been for me about the ability to change behaviours, um, and with that comes storytelling, and with that comes the you know, the elicitation of an emotion or a response. But it's the habit changing that I think is really interesting.
0: And then my follow up is going to be more personal to you. Mm-hmm. What key characteristic do you think that you've had, or do you kind of look back on as having helped you have the success that you've you've had? If you had to pick one thing that made the difference.
1: It goes I think it always has to go back to the consumer. I think great advertising is rooted in people and understanding what people are doing, whether it's with the product or whether it's with the media, uh, how they're responding. But those starting with people, finding the insights out from people, I think that's where it starts. And I've always loved and been interested with by people. Hmm. Um, so I guess that's why I've always loved my job. That's great.
0: So then to Facebook. I'm interested to know What do you think, and again, this is a very broad topic, but just if you can pick one thing, what do you think Facebook's impact has been on advertising?
1: Um, I think about, I think Facebook's had uh, a number of different ways that it's impacted, but I think how digital has changed. And again, it goes back to people. So it's not about Facebook's impact. I think it's about people's impact. And that's the fact that we have these things in our hands now. We're probably, you and I, both feeling a bit nervous because we don't have them in our hands.
0: It's hiding there somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> it's
1: hiding. But we know that within th- as long as we're always within three feet of our phones, we feel safe and comfortable. And most people put them to bed at night almost next to them, yeah. like, you know, as a partner almost. And first thing they check in the morning. So I think it's a disruption around what mobile has done to people and how that's changed. And I think Facebook has been part of that. Um, as have other platforms and that's where it gets interesting because that changes the way in which as advertisers we're able to communicate with people at where they are what what matters most to them and it's a very personal thing your mm. phone so having that permission to go in is, is a personal thing
0: what's fascinating is i think actually recurring in a lot of your answers is almost that thing of principles remain the same practices change the fundamentals are all there it's just the execution level is changing and what you can do changes but fundamentally it comes down to changing consumer perceptions people and understanding
1: yeah and learning the lessons from history as well because one of the things that we often do when a a new media comes is we were often put on the content from previous media Mm. and so the obvious example is when television happened we put radio plays onto tv um, and we've done, we've been, I think, a little bit guilty of doing the same thing with, with Facebook, with with mobile, where we've just put TV ads straight on. And actually, there's such an amazing uh, canvas now of, of opportunities, of different ways to tell stories in a mobile world, whether it's through Carousel, which is built for the mobile platform, mm. where you can literally bring all the best bits of Facebook in, whether it's videos, whether it's, you know, pictures, whether it's words, 360s, uh, put it all in. And then it's like a Pandora's box that can... You know can keep evolving and so i don't think the conversations now i think the conversations have shifted within the industry to not just be about what's the channel it's like what's the campaign and how does the campaign work and how can we now make sure that when we're producing that actually we can shift what we're doing because that's the thing that actually needs to change but yes the storytelling the consumer insights the craft if the crafts needed because actually we're also seeing a different way of a a disruptive way of production now whereby people are very used to the fact that yeah, I can have something a bit fuzzier, or a bit more live, or a bit more casual than those perfectly finished pieces that I was talking about twenty something years yeah. ago.
0: What do you think? What do you think is the the single biggest challenge that's been caused by this change that you think brands or just the industry as a whole has yet to 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 overcome or, or execute really well?
1: So I think it's actually I think it goes back to a little bit on my previous question, which is making sure that we're keeping ahead. Uh, of the the new things that are out there and that we're not just doing the new things because they're experimental, which I think is important. I think people definitely should be testing and learning. But it's also once you do that, that you consolidate the learnings and that you build from there. Because one thing that's definitely not going to change, people aren't moving away from their mobiles. That's not going to happen. People are spending more and more time on their phones, more and more time on their platforms. You know, with Facebook and Instagram, they're spending over 50 minutes a day with us every single day. So if you want to be where people are, then Facebook and Instagram are the best mobile platforms that you can be on. So that's the way to think about it. Not as something that happens after yep. you come up with all the idea, the strategy, and then think about what do we do on Facebook and Instagram. The campaigns that do really well are where they start up front right at the beginning, and then it comes and seamlessly goes the whole way through.
0: I sort of feel people need to remember it's an iterative approach as well of learning through what you're doing and don't totally. expect every part of what you're doing to smack it out the park. Mm. each time and that can be the challenge with keeping up with the innovation because people then have this expectation almost not to learn to be too rushed
1: yeah to and things it, yeah and it's so different from how things used to be so again back to those heady days of 92 i would make one or two tv ads a year and a couple of print ads and be literally exhausted Um, that's not how it is anymore. You can make, you know, we did a campaign recently with Zalando where they made over 70 films, live films in one day. It was a fashion show where they were showing different things and getting it out there. And I think as a creative how exciting that is that you can now have the ability to almost have this cutting room floor on an ongoing basis every single day. Now that has its own challenges in terms of new ways of production, new types of craft, new ways of thinking about things. But I think that's really exciting.
0: I think it's interesting... There was an analogy by um, Bradley Jakeman, the president of PepsiCo Beverage, that you know, said it used to be four assets that we take. We'd had eight months and now four is 4,000 and eight months is eight hours or, or eight days and they don't necessarily have more budget to do it with. I'd be interested in your thoughts on ad relevancy because I, I think one of the challenges has been the 4,000. People are just, to a degree, rushed to it, puts up lots of, of, of noise and it's not necessarily been meaningful content. Mm-hmm. Or actually what you discussed earlier as well was not platform-specific content, so it was just... The radio, putting radio ads on, on TV analogy. Where do you think people are on ad relevancy and, and, and how much further do you think there is to, to go on people getting it right?
1: So I think it's it goes back to, you know, knowing what you're trying to do. So if you know what you're trying to sell and who you the old days and who you're trying to sell it to, then you find the best places to do it. And it might not be 4,000 and it might still be four or five, uh, but it needs to be the right four or five. And the relevancy point is particularly important, especially on a platform like ours, because what people expect if, you know, when they're in their own news feeds and you're if you're a brand, you're up against the pictures of their kids or, you know, their friend's wedding or the band that they love. They expect the advertising to be relevant and you know, right for them with great creative. That's what's the thing that's going to stop people in their tracks and go, you know what? Yeah, this is worth pausing and having a little look at and mm. spending time with. So I think if we get that bit right, the, you know, the targeting plus the great creative work, that's what personalized marketing at scale means. That's when it's powerful and that's when we see the extraordinary results. And actually we're seeing more and more, more, and more people, more and more advertisers doing that.
0: Um, what changes do you think large companies or large need to make in order to be able to adapt to that better so
1: what i can share with you is some of the things that we've seen that, that have been happening already so i know of a number of different creative directors and actually also advertisers as well that come in and say show me the work on mobile i'm not i don't want to see the work that's this big i want to see what it feels like when it's this size yep. because that's how my consumers are going to see it and so again if you're starting with the kpi here where you're actually evaluating the work how people are going to see it I think that changes the way. So that that's one of the tips that I've seen that really can make a difference.
0: And how would you feel about uh, one thing with the amount of content? And I think also what digital channels have brought is maybe communities to the table. And does that, to a degree, provoke conversation? And does that, to a degree, provoke brands needing to let go of some brand controls slightly? In your mind, compared to compared to what it was before, so you've
1: thrown me about twenty-five questions in there. <laughs>
0: um, you, how many are you going to answer?
1: Well, maybe I'll go through. <laughs> I'll see how many. Uh, so the first one is around communities. Yeah, I think this is very this is very powerful. We people are coming together for lots of different reasons. And, and Mark Zuckerberg wrote recently a whole essay around, you know, what community means, different things that we as a company can be doing to actually enhance uh, community. So I think there is uh, something there. And certainly within the context of this conversation, there's a very rich creative community uh, on on Facebook and on Instagram, which uh, if you're not connected into, people should definitely tap into because it's a place where people are sharing ideas, where they are inspiring each other. And you want to be part of the conversation. If you want to stay relevant and be you know, topical of now, then those are conversations that you want to be part of. But actually, is there a such a thing as a creative community? Because then it's about what type of creative within the creative community. And so is it about the sculptors? Is it about the photographers? Is it, is it about the dance? And so there's lots of different people within those communities. So if we think about it like that, that's a wonderful opportunity in terms of when it comes to actually the creation of the craft uh, and the connections there and the inspiration. But also, it's a wonderful way of thinking about how we do the targeting anyway in the general sense. So I think you get both bits uh, out of that from there. But yeah, everything starts on the platform with communities, whether it's your friend community, your family community, your work community. There's lots of different ways. It's
0: just bringing people together. Absolutely. I think one of the trends I've wrote an article recently about unicorns powered by zebras. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, so the analogy is that a lot of what technology is bringing about is the democratization of products and services mm-hmm. and a lot of the unicorns and I'd, I'd argue in a way Facebook fits the description as well is powered by zebras where the zebras are the uber drivers are the airbnb homeowners on whaler are the the community of creators Mm -hmm. that can work for brands and the some of the the great companies that are coming along are just being platforms that bring a a value exchange Mm -hmm. between two other parties that the the companies the platforms the the unicorns themselves aren't actually providing that value exchange they're providing the means for that value exchange to take place and then incredible things are spawning offer that value exchange. Yeah,
1: I think that's what I mean, we're a platform and we want people to build on top of us and we want people to embrace the different communities and do things with it. And absolutely. But the other area that I see that I think is very exciting is around what I would call the democratization of marketing. So again, back to 92, uh, to do the things that we did then for the clients and the adverts that we made took legions of people. And it did take a year to make a single 30 second TV ad because probably took 100 people um, you know, whether it was the makeup guys, the sound guys, the technicians, the producers, the directors, the casting agents, it was hard work to pull all of that together, location scout, etc. We all now have in our hands these super incredible computers, but they're not just computers. They're also as better probably than the, you know, the film and the video cameras that we were using 25 years ago. And we all take it for, my kids take it for granted. They just, you know, they've got a full production studio well,
0: in their hands. I always love the bit that it's more powerful than the computer that took Apollo 11. I know, I love that. <laughs> I love
1: that. Yeah, it took man to the moon. But yeah. it's, so with that power in our hands, what it means that if you're the world's biggest advertisers, or if you're someone like my parents, actually, especially on a platform like Facebook, all the products that we have, all the ad products that we have are exactly the same. Whether you're the world's biggest or the world's smallest advertiser. And I think that's really exciting.
0: Well, I think in general, in the industry as well, I don't think this is unfair to, to say that previously large brands had the advantage because mm-hmm. to reach global audiences, you had to have multi million pound budgets. And actually, maybe the later trend, because larger brands can be slightly slower to innovate, is that startups have, have had the advantage and why they've been able to have so much disruption because a platform like Facebook, but the internet in general, is giving so many connections that just weren't possible
1: i think that yeah i definitely think there's some truth to that we some of the most sophisticated advertisers on our platform are small businesses and when i small mean small businesses i mean it's people like uh, there's an amazing lady called uh, rosie olivia she's a milliner uh from liverpool come just come to london and she you know she uses our most sophisticated advertising Mm -hmm. you know she's doing carousels and she's doing uh, canvases and you know stories and getting everything out there why because she's really in connection with a customer she can see what's working at the time and if it works well, she's doubling down. And if it's not, she'll pull back. And her advertising spend is small, five pounds here, 10 pounds there. But she's so clear about who she's targeting that really it can make a really big difference to her business. So yeah, I see that they really do move very quickly. Um, and, it, and it, you know, what does she get back? She gets sales.
0: Mm. So that's all the exciting stuff, but within the advertising space, what keeps you up at night? What, what, what are the bits that you worry about?
1: I think when you think about this, actually it's ourselves. Because I think the Sun Microsystems thing is is the timely reminder. They were a brilliant company with amazing people, and yet they failed. And you could look to, oh, is it competitive pressures? Was it the external environment? But actually, it's usually what's happening in the company itself. And we've all worked at companies at different times where you know there's a problem. Everybody knows there's a problem. But for whatever reason, nobody speaks truth to power for whatever. And so I guess that's the thing. Are we we, we creating a culture where people are comfortable to be able to have hard conversations with one another and to make sure that where there is challenges, that we see the challenges, that we can move on them and we can adapt and move quickly enough? Those are the things that I think about.
0: If you could click your finger and change one thing in the industry, what would that be?
1: Ooh, shift to mobile even quicker.
0: (laughs) Good answer. (laughs) And so then at face, what, what do you see as your primary role here at Facebook, at VPME, or what, what do you see as your day-to-day responsibility and what are you trying to achieve?
1: So there's a few things. Um, first off is to, you know, we have, we're a tech company, so we're innovating all the time. There's so much new news uh, that's coming out. So a big job for us all, I'm sure for you as well, Neil, is about how do you keep on top of all the new information? And once you've learned it yourself, how do you make sure you're sharing it uh, with the people that matter the most to your partners? So a lot of my work is, is spent thinking about that, uh, obviously our culture. Uh, I spend a lot of time thinking about as we're growing how to make sure that we preserve the things that have got us to where we are today that, and the culture is the most important thing. Yep. The, the other area that I'm very passionate about and I've spoken a lot about in the past is the whole area of, of diversity. And again, being a tech company, we know our numbers aren't good enough. We publish our own gender uh, reports, uh, how we're doing and only 17% of our engineering staff are female and that's just not good enough. And, we, you know, we want to do more about that. So that's something that I think about quite a lot as well.
0: And I think I saw Steve, the North, uh, what's his, his, his Northern North, Europe. Northern Europe now saying that, you know, it, it, it's also, it's not about just trying to drive diversity. Diversity brings value. Oh, yeah. As well. And it's it's not just for the pure mission of saying no. it sh- it should be more than 15%. It's actually the company is going to benefit.
1: So how can you, you know, today on Facebook, we have almost 1.9 billion people that use the platform every month, 1.2 billion every day. You know, they're not all guys. <laughs> and so if you're creating products for the future, it has to represent the totality of the people that are using the platform. More interesting things happen when you bring people together. And it's not just about you know gender, it's all types of diversity. It makes for a different stimulating you know, perspective. And the same is true of advertising. You look at all the golden ages of advertising, it was when different groups of people came together with diverse opinions and challenged each other and thought in different ways. That, that's a very important thing, and, and it's a really healthy thing, I think, for any company. And you know what? It makes economic sense. McKinsey's done research that says that boards and companies that have more diversity are boards that do mm. better.
0: I think there's an interesting thing. I was speaking at an event uh, yesterday with Colin Gottlieb, CEO of the Media mm. Group. He was saying one of the things that disappoints him is he didn't go to university he would struggle to get hired at the company that he is now CEO, Amir, <laughs> a, a of. And, the, you know, the, you know a lot of innovations come from rebels to a degree as well, and people challenging, I mean, look at <laughs> Facebook. Um, and so he just said there's a, a broad diversity issue as well of just not getting too process driven in, in how people get, get brought in.
1: Yeah, and I think that, you know, um I think it's about understanding people, goes back to that, and understanding what are the skills that people have that could be useful to your company. And I think if you, if you try and just put all people into the same mold, we're well, only gonna get the same answers to the solutions. And I don't think any company wants to just get one answer to a solution or you know, one solution uh, to, a, to a challenge. You want to have lots of multiple different perspectives that you can then discuss and debate. So I would agree with that. And I think different industries over time can really can, can get sometimes a bit stuck. Just hiring in their own kind, and that 's not a good thing and i'm a big fan of Colin, so i'm glad he did get the job
0: <laughs> what would you what advice would you give someone starting off in the creative or advertising industry now
1: i 'd say how exciting um, because I think it's I think this is the best time to be in the industry I think there's never been more opportunities to uh, to do things it 's never been easier uh, to enter the industry, but it's not without um you know, differences that might need to be adopted. So I would build mobile first. Of course, I would say that. I would think about the embracement of failure, how you can test and learn. Uh, I would think about storytelling because storytelling will always matter and how you can pitch a story quickly and and succinctly. And then I would make sure you have a bit of fun because there's a reason you chose the creative world and the creative industries, which, by the way, in the UK are our fastest growing industries Um, You know, growing at double digit growth for the last 10 years and also, you know, it's an 85 billion dollar, 85 billion pound GDP every year to the economy. And those jobs aren't going away. Mm. All businesses need creativity. So um, you've got yourself a job for life.
0: Do you think it would be a, do you think this is a fair statement to say that in the past five or six years, creativity, not slightly taken a back foot, but some of the obsession around tech and data has overtaken creativity and creativity is coming back now because of the amount of content being put out there and creativity's coming and helping perform better?
1: I don't think creativity ever went away. Okay. <laughs> I think it's front and center of all successful businesses. And I think the interesting businesses of the future will be the ones that bring together very successfully the creativity and the tech together. That, that's how I see the future developing.
0: Great, right. Quick fire round. Oh no, I normally <laughs> do these to people. <laughs> Are you ready? you Okay. Best business book you've ever read?
1: Probably anything from um, one of my favourites, Adam Grant. So uh, originals or can have two, give and take. You can have two. Thank you.
0: (laughs) All right. Next question. Name someone who's inspired you the most.
1: Sheryl Sandberg.
0: Favourite band?
1: I just did a thing with Take That this morning. So I was going to say Take That. But actually, you know, growing up in Manchester, I loved, um, you know, The Smiths.
0: Okay. Favourite movie?
1: Mm, Easy, The Godfather.
0: Okay. If you didn't work in this industry, what else would you be doing?
1: It would definitely be something in the creative industries. No question going about that. Go back to the actress roots. No. No. Um, <laughs> no, definitely would be the creative industries, but couldn't couldn't separate which bit of it in there somewhere.
0: What's a tiny thing that annoys you the most? Mm, tiny thing. I'm
1: quite tidy.
0: Okay. Uh, it's a mess. This is a good and question. And my children know that mess. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Do they cause the mess? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you had a time machine, when and where would you go?
1: Oh, ancient Egypt.
0: If you were running for office, what would your campaign slogan be? <laughs> I <have> no idea. <laughs>
1: but it would be on an equality.
0: Okay, and then the very last question, it's got to be a whaler-related question. Beluga, blue, humpback or killer whale? I have no idea. <laughs> blue. There you go. Perfect. Nicola, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Whaler Podcast. Be sure to check out the next episode where I'm chatting to Phil Thomas, the CEO of Essential Events.